that emotion and that intensity kind of helped propel me to heights that and capabilities that I didn't know existed. But getting right to that edge where you your your engagement is really high, totally in the moment, you're totally you have focus, you're not distracted. Kind of gravitate to some of those guys that will help you get to that edge, right? That that right level of engagement. Welcome back or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Lucini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives with the pursuit of greatness in mind. This platform allows me to discuss and to explain strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode 56. My guest is, again, Brody Merrill. In the world of lacrosse, he needs no introduction. He's a Hall of Fame and world-class athlete brilliant coach, caring captain, devoted husband, and father. Exactly four years ago, and one month before the pandemic of the coronavirus hit the world, we sat down for round one, and I'm grateful to have him back. Uh, He's a dear friend and uh, a wealth of knowledge, and I I can't wait for him to share with our community. Brody, thanks for coming back for round two. Yeah, that was an interesting time. Time has definitely flown by since then, and yeah, I think you and I had a pretty, it's cool because we both eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff that we're talking about today, right? And it was cool kind of going through that like uh, in a season, like playing together, right? And then yeah. kind of uh, talking about it, reflecting on it, and dealing with our own little challenges as we go through it, right? So that that was definitely um, a pretty cool experience. Well, I'm a pretty spiritual guy. I mean, you know, there's no reason that we needed to be teammates, but uh, I'm really grateful for, that we were. And the reason why I wanted to have you back on is, as I said, right before we, we started recording is, uh, you know, I've changed, I've evolved, you have too, the world has, um, but you're kind of like a modern day gladiator, uh, Brody, in a lot of ways. You've been in the arena. Um, and like I said, in the introduction, I want the community to learn from them. Like I have parents that reach out to me, uh, new coaches, high school coaches, players at different levels. Um, but before we go into that, I guess I would just ask you, uh, now that you've transitioned over the last you know, 12 to 18 months away from the game and had your jersey hang up in the rafters, how would you summarize your time uh, on the field floor and ranks that you played on? Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because I think as a professional lacrosse player, the transition has been um, a little bit easier because we're fortunate enough um, to ha- ha- be able to build a career kind of in parallel to playing. And, and so um, I was always kind of jealous of the full-time athletes that can just devote every day to just going in and training and playing. Um, but uh, life as a, a professional athlete, as you know, or a professional lacrosse player, as you know, um, you need to have kind of a day job. And um, so that transition has been, I think, easier than most, probably compared to other sports. But it also comes in little waves where I'm, um, you know, I'll, I'll be watching games, or um, you're always kind of preparing for that next game or that next opportunity. And and so um, that's been a little bit of a shift uh, for me as well, just that competitive energy. Um, but I'm fortunate enough now to to uh, to coach my kids a lot, which is really. Uh, really fulfilling and and also coaching at the hill and and having some unique opportunities just like recently with the with the Boston Cannons too and so um, yeah I think overall just like really 
kind of uh, thank when I think about my career, just really um, a lot of a lot of gratitude for all the great people and teammates and coaches and experiences. And I think since I've kind of retired, they, they're coming back to me at, at different times, at different moments. But um, yeah, overall, just very, uh, very thankful. Yeah, and congratulations on the uh, championship series. I mean, you go right from a player to winning again. And uh, something that gripped me as I was listening back to our first time four years ago is you said the game is part of me inside of that, inside of our podcast. And that line really resonated with me from our conversation. And, um, you know, like I said, Hall of Fame player, veteran coach, maybe could you just talk about what lacrosse, the sport specifically means to you? As I got older, I started to get a little bit more in tune with this, right? Because as a younger player, uh, coach, you're kind of, it can be a little bit transactional, right? Where it's like uh, you're playing for fun or to win or to win that next trophy or to, um, you know, uh, because maybe what your friends are doing. But as you're, you get more time and you start to learn more about the game and yourself, um, it really, it's, um, you know, when it says, you know, what's cool about lacrosse, I'd say this for all sports, but it's kept definitely um, a cool way of phrasing it. Like the uh, lacrosse is a medicine game, right? You play it because it, it makes you feel better when you when you coach it, when you play it, when you watch it. And um, that started to resonate with me a little bit more later in my career. And, and just, um, you know, just, you know, I, I feel like you, you can be fully in the moment. Um, you um and then you you test yourself physically mentally emotionally and um and so it, I, i've learned um you know i've built a lot of confidence i think just personally just going through some of this the challenges that the the game uh, presents i think that's one thing i would say for young players and and coaches is that um sometimes we want to avoid those things but i think that's where i think you learn the most is going through that. I remember talking to Brian actually before we were kind of, it was great because it was, we're, we're both love the game so much and we're just talking about our, our past in the game. And um, you kind of think of those, uh, some of the best moments usually come after like some adversity or really, really tight stretch, like really tight games or, and, and, before the game, we both kind of agreed in the championship series that like it's it's going to come down to the last second. It's something crazy, right? When you're at, <laughs> when you're at that level and just embrace it all, right? Right. And, uh, so um, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but um, it's you know it, it grabbed a hold of me, and I think um, beyond just playing it, it just uh, the fun in playing it. I think it's just taught me a lot about myself. I was listening to a podcast recently about a Harvard professor who's, uh, I guess he teaches about happiness and his, his classes fill up like automatically. And um, his name is escaping me, but something that he did talk about is he was kind of taking these complex terms like happiness and satisfaction and talking about what actually goes into them. And I remember him saying there is no satisfaction without a little bit of suffering. And I think that's a, it's an amazing way of looking at it. Just like you brought up in terms of something's crazy is going to happen. There's going to be adversity that we're going to need to go through. And once we're on the other end of that adversity, it is, is extreme ju- jubilation or disappointment right there's no if ands about about it it is and sometimes that's that's like, like years you know like and, and um where you can hit those kind of breakthroughs and it makes gives you uh overall perspective but it it um i think if you 
when you, it helps you deal with it in the moment as you're going through it, right? Mm -hmm. That suffering or that struggle or that adversity. If you kind of flip the script a little bit and think, all right, this is, this is, this is good. You know, I'm learning more about myself or learning more about my team, learning more about my teammates, my players, and, uh, and then I'm going to respond. Right. And, um, um, it, it, uh, you know, and it does, it does make you appreciate, um, you know, when you do have those breakthroughs, um, for sure. Yeah. And I think, uh, from a psychology perspective, that's the constant focus is reframing that. Just look at that slightly differently, slightly differently, even when it rains outside, you know, yeah, like it's not a great day to do a bunch of activities, but maybe the flowers needed it. That sort of reframe. You brought up two answers ago, the test test and the challenge of physically, mentally, and emotionally, how I actually wanted to start the first quarter of this podcast was with a section of what do you know now that you wish you knew uh, when you were first starting out. And I guess I wanted to go through a series real quickly. If you could give uh, first a main messaging to kind of a young student athlete, maybe in the middle school or high school, because I'm sure maybe the advice is different for different levels. And I wanted you to go through if you're okay with that, the, uh, the middle school or high school athlete first. Yeah, it's um, play the long game. So for me, and actually, it, and you'll find this too, I'm sure you can speak to this, just being around at the professional level gives you kind of perspective on the earlier stages, right? Where a lot of the players that are at that level um, were maybe not the best player growing up, right? Or had, had been um, overlooked or doubted or cut, you know, multiple times and, um, but that kind of love and dedication, uh, never, never wavered. And so for me as a young, as a, I was very much a late bloomer. I was never the top player on any of my teams growing up. I was kind of always middle of the pack. Um, you know, I, I, I love, I, like, I love working at the game though. And I loved, uh, I love practice and I love the conditioning side of it. And, and so, um, but there was definitely that, er, that stage, I'd say, uh, grade eight, grade nine was like my, you know, uh, toughest years in sport because I was kind of a faster athlete when I was really young. But then as I, my body was changing, I had to hit a big growth spurt. Um, I, I was, you know, I, I was pretty slow, actually. It was I didn't make my grade eight elementary school track team. Um, and then. It took a couple of years, probably 16, 17, for me to start to grow into my body a little bit. And um, and so I think patience is key, is sticking with it and understanding that um, when it feels kind of like it's over, kind of <laughs> like it did for me at that stage, it's it's really kind of just beginning, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, play play the long game, be patient, but focus on your controllables and learning the game, continuing to build your skill and your IQ and kind of these more sustainable skills. Right. And then as you can kind of catch up physically, um, you know, you, you'll, you'll be able to separate yourself, but, um, yeah. I, um, so that would be kind of my, my message for, for kind of middle school, high school. You don't, you don't want to be necessarily the best grade 10 in the country, <laughs> right. You want to try to, keep building and keep, uh, you know, staying kind of in the game. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I think for me too, in terms of my confidence, I, I was always really lanky, skinny. Everybody used to make fun of how skinny I was and how skinny my mm. legs were. Mm. And, uh, 
things like that. I think for me, when I um, found, discovered uh, the weight room, that was a big thing. And because yeah. it doesn't require any talent. And I started to see kind of the more of those tangible results, the harder I worked. And, um, and so uh, I think that's a good uh, kind of staple for young athletes is as you get introduced to that, like make that your thing. I find some good, you know, a strength and conditioning coach locally, a good peer group to work out with some of your buddies that are also into mm. it. And, um, you know, that could be a way to kind of bridge the gap or separate yourself a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah, I think I mentioned it the first time we spoke about uh, when, when I heard that you got cut from that track team, you know, discipline becomes desire. This idea that I have to do something um, becomes I get to and I want to when when you notice progress, when you go through the progress. And once you have that progress, you're like, whoa, this is really momentous. This feels good. You start to move more weight in the weight room and you start to get faster. And then maybe there's tangible results in the sport in and of itself as well. So play the long game is what I took away right from the those early teenage years what about that college athlete um as you get later into the game what yeah. advice would you give to them so i remember my first ever practice at georgetown and thinking holy like how how good is everyone here right every every single player on that field and i thinking just where do i fit in and um you know there's probably 50 guys on the roster there's only what 17 18 that play on on saturdays Right. So um, just trying it. But the, it was good news and bad news for me because um, a player by the name of Kyle Sweeney, he was just inducted into the U.S. Hall of Fame. Um, he was the best LSM in the country. He was a two time first team All-American um, prior to I think he ended up being a four time first uh, four time All-American. But he was really good with me. He was two years older. So we played the same position. So the good news was I got this firsthand look at like the, like the example, right. Of kind of everything I wanted to be as a player. The bad news was I was a backup LSM and, and he never came off the field. <laughs> right? so I got very kind of limited playing time uh, my first two years. Um, so that was tough, but in the same breath, I, I wouldn't have traded that for the world because I was picking up so much from him and he was really good mm -hmm. with me too. Like, Mm -hmm. And I'll forever be thankful to him for that because you all, you can see in some scenarios where it can be competitive where there's a younger guy coming up and, and whatever. But um, he really kind of took me under his wing, taught me some of the nuances of the position. We pushed each other in terms of the, the conditioning. I still remember for some, I'll go off on a tangent, but for some reason we, uh, we had to have mile run, but we had class or something. So we couldn't run it with the team. And so we ran it head to head a mile. And I, I swear, like, I've never run faster in my life. It was like, <laughs> um, it was like we were both going, we, we sprinted the entire mile and we both hit a, a, a speed that I don't think we could ever get to if we had, <laughs> even within our team, right? It was, it was just like that pure competition and, kind of big brother, little brother thing. And he was dragging me along. And I think that was also in, in my game, right. That was also at practice every day. Mm. It was kind of, um, it pushed my potential. And so, um, yeah, so it, it, and then he actually, uh, my sophomore year, his senior year, he broke his ankle with like a month left in the season. 
Um, and so this was our best player going down and also somebody that you want to kind of win for, right? And to see it in his senior year was pretty devastating for him and our whole team. And um, and then that, but that gave me a little bit of an opportunity to get in to get in and play and kind of understand that I could play at that level. And then I kind of carried that through um, my last two years where I kind of broke out and found my game and and it uh, it kind of came together. I think that was, you know, we kind of talk about entering kind of the prime of your, you know, mm-hmm. of your little bit of experience. But now that you got the physical tools the mental tools to start to kind of put it together. Um, so, yeah, I would say that early college years, a little bit of growing pain, some great mentorship. Our, our uh, you know, we had a Torton uh, winner, um, Steve Dussault, who's now a doctor, who just like some great examples around, and, and Kyle and others that, uh, and a really good class where we had some great intercompetition and, um, you know, great coaches with, with Coach Urich and, um, so I was really fortunate and it was, we had a great experience and uh, some early struggles and then kind of broke out kind of mid to later stages. Amazing. A uh, thing I talk about most when I talk about lasting performance enhancement, behavioral change, our uh, standards, goals, plus an action plan, and then the power of role models. And, you know, the things that I was writing down as you were, as you were talking uh, is nobody knows that or thinks about Mahomes as a backup, right? You know, he was a, he was a backup right before he was great. And then the next thing is that, that picture of you guys running neck to neck. One of the best documentaries I've ever watched is Strokes of Genius with uh, Federer and Nadal, right? Them pushing each other to go to another level. If if they weren't each playing at the same time, they probably would have more majors than Novak Djokovic. But they just kept pushing each other to another level and to another level. And then the final thing is that. Um, Drew Bledsoe just signed like a, a multi-year contract and then gets hurt. And if he doesn't get hurt, there's no Tom Brady. And I think about how, you know, yes, following and having patience. Again, I think the same answer, right? Maybe mentors were added to your second answer, but still having that patient and studying and learning and biding your time, right? For that breakthrough. Uh, but I, I think people lose sight that Mahomes was a backup. And so was Brady. And you have to really learn, 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 learn. And then when your time is, you better be prepared for it. Right. Yeah. And uh, for sure. And, and you don't know when that opportunity will come. And I think in the meantime is watching others, being around others. Like I, I you know, I, with Steve Dussault, he was, again, the best player in the country. He was a senior. I was a freshman, you know, uh, used to have to sign up for individual um sessions at that time in our off season. I'm not sure if that was the same at Yale, hmm. but like in that off season, you're allowed to have individual sessions. Anytime Steve Dussault signed up for it, I was signing up for it. Right. Every single time. And, um, and so I think there is something to be said for trying to go against and uh, the top players and like, like watch what they're doing, go, you know, go through some of those growing, uh, growing pains. I also think in the collegiate environment, being the first, one there, last one to leave kind of mindset mm. will really mm. help in that competitive environment. Brody, where do you get that competitive edge? Have you always had it? Um, I think I have had, I, I've, I've always, as long as I can remember, even back to my early stages of sport, playing soccer and baseball, even before I started playing lacrosse, I, I, I had that. I just loved sport and competition. So 
I'm probably from both my parents who were athletes as well. And um, I think my siblings probably brought that out, that, that out of me as well. That kind of that competitive spirit. I've had some coaches too, that were, um, that kind of demanded that and, mm-hmm. and had that intensity that would maybe help me tap into that as well uh, a bit. But um, you would probably know the answer better than I, whether it's kind of nature or nurture, but probably some kind of combination there. Yeah, a combination. I think it has to do with finding the thing that you're interested in. Uh, I was just listening to Daniel Presley. This guy uh, helps entrepreneurs because he started a company over company, making millions of dollars and developed a process about it. And he came up actually with a uh, procedure of looking at passion. And what he, what he said is it's made up of origin, vision, and mission. And what origin, which is really what I, why I want to bring it up, is what were you interested in growing up that you're still interested in now? And I think people lose sight of that, right? And they get in something else that's not their origin, not their interest. And I think that hockey and lacrosse was your interest and you found it inside of that. And then you had the mentorship and guidance and influence of siblings and coaches that really took that to another level. I guess I just want to interject here something that I wanted to make sure I brought up during our podcast is Novak Djokovic was on 60 Minutes. And he gave one of the best definitions of mental strength that I, that I had heard. And it was not staying in your emotions too long, not staying in your emotions too long. And the reason why I like that is because we're not robots. We do have that emotional eruption. And this is a question I have for you is, right, you play with a bunch of passion, Brody, a bunch of emotion, right? It's obvious, right? But the key is to play with emotion, but not become too emotional, mm-hmm. right? How, how, how were you able to, to deal with that through, through your years playing? Oh yeah, that's a tough question, and it's funny because I, I I heard that quote recently too, and and uh, we were actually talking about it. Uh, Marcus Holman was talking about that in our championship series, um, because you're giving yourself a little bit of license, right? Like it's 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 okay, it's 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 natural to feel that or to get off course or become emotional. Um, but what are some strategies to get yourself back? I think it's um, I, I have a tough time because sometimes I really, that, that emotion and that intensity kind of helped propel me to heights that, and capabilities that I didn't know existed. But I think it's, it's, um, getting right to that edge, right. And it's, and it's where you, your, your engagement is really high, right. That you're, uh, totally in the moment you're told you have focus you're not distracted um you know uh, there's like um yeah for me it might be some trigger words it might be feeding off a certain teammate right that's what i i would say one thing about you is that i love just kind of preparing for the game with you because there's like a certain amount of kind of your body language how you were preparing you know, and I think that could be a lesson for for players in a team. Like, kind of gravitate to some of those guys that will help you get to that to that edge, right? That that right level of engagement. Um, you know, I also, you know, there's a there's a player, young player, Bubba Fairman. He said, you know, he, I don't know if you know Bubba. You probably know of him, played against him, but he's a real. He's got a great personality, really bright. You know, he's a guy that's always kind of laughing keeps the room light, but he said he, he used to always get in a lot of trouble growing up because t- that, that coaches 
thought, hey, you need to be more intense. You need to be this. You need to be that. Where it just that's his way, right? Mm-hmm. He likes mm-hmm. to kind of keep things like that's that's his state, right? And so I think kind of knowing yourself what works for you, what doesn't, maybe a little bit of trial and error. Um, but in finding those little triggers and strategies to help you get back to that your optimal state and understanding like there's a um, you know that difference between optimal and 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 like peaks and i think sometimes we, we're chasing peak and peaks never going to happen right where uh you know i use the patrick mahomes example last year when he injured his ankle right he could be lamenting that he could be stuck oh what was me or understand that okay i'm injured entering the biggest game of my life right how can i make the most of this right how can i um understand that the, it's not going to be perfect but i get to try to make it optimal for me and i think there there's going to be some trial and error in that and it goes back to i'd say kind of break it down into these little victories mm-hmm. right as 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 ben ives would talk about you know mentor yeah. you and i ours uh, together like that navy seal that maybe feels mindset, those little victories um, can help you get to that high level of, of engagement. And um, and I, I understood sometimes when it got past that point where I'm too mm. engaged, where now I'm working against myself, I'm being detrimental, or I'm, I'm maybe too loose or laid back or kind of that feeling mm. of being lethargic. Mm. And... Mm. Um, yeah, so it's uh, the the one thing is it's we talk we've talked about this a lot. There's some there's some psychology to that, but even like understand why do we respond differently after a loss and a win, mm. right? Where mm. after a loss, there's more urgency. There's that more t- like we're after a win. And Steve Kerr has talked about that with um, the Golden State Warriors, right? There is a little bit of that psychology that we've won so much, right? That it, it's how to, how to keep that level of engagement. So that's a, that's a challenge that we, we, we got to deal with kind of daily. I, I mean, I, I'm just nodding along. I have so much that I want to say. I just got to choose. And I think the first thing I would say is uh, you don't want an absence of fear. You don't want an absence of emotion like you talked about, a healthy dose, right? It comes from the movie Chasing Mavericks, the big surfing movie uh, about focus, right? Fear is healthy, panic is deadly. And it goes on the idea of uh, your Keats Dothan curve, right? Where you're, it's the inverted you, it's your level of performance is optimal at the right level of arousal. And if you look at that, it is about knowing your numbers. I mean, if you're an athlete, you need to look up your Keats Dotson curve from 1908. And Ben Ives called it um, prosiety, right? Using the anxiety or arousal for you. And then knowing your numbers, right? You brought up Bubba versus yours. It's a little bit different. You needed to be higher on the arousal level before you got into panic mode or too too grippy and too 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 edgy or you fell off the edge let's just say and then the other side is boredom or apathetic and the last thing i would say is um weird name but the guy who talks about flow channel um mill high chicks and mill high is the idea of taking that arousal control and following a flow channel so that you're taking on the tasks in your life that you're skilled at. And if you're not skilled at it, I do mean mentally and emotionally and spiritually as well as physically, right? Then 
you're going to have that anxiety or that nervousness because you're not prepared for it. But if you are prepared for it, right, you can actually go to a whole nother level by getting to that edge, if that makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And it's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's an amazing feeling when you can get to that, that edge. Right. And I think it, um, it's hard to just kind of turn that it, it does to your point, go through a lot. It's a lot of in your, in your preparation yeah. and, and the accumulation of, of those little incremental steps. Right. And I think that as athletes, we need to be really in tune with that. We need to be really in tune with those steps, right? And what what works and what doesn't work. And I think, um, yeah, and, and and also again, I just I go back to that little bit of license where it, you know, um, it's not it's not going to be peak, right? It's not going to be peak, and, it, and that's going to come. Maybe you have all this little routine. You've done everything right, and then something unforeseen happens, right? And, and allowing you to say, okay, that, that's okay, right? Whether it's going down early in a game, right? Whether it's, um, again, uh, making a, a big mistake early, which is, which is hard for athletes to get over. P- picture a first shift, right? And, um, you know, I remember one of my first starts playing against Duke. I prepared all week watched film on this particular player, um, knew everything about this player. And then my first shift, I got ran by and scored, right? My second shift, I try to go make a play and I take a penalty. There wasn't a third shift, right? Wow. (laughs) So it's like, uh, okay, maybe that was too much preparation. Maybe that was- how'd you get? How'd you come back from that, Brody? Because right? nobody nobody thinks of Brody and that story. So how'd you come back from that? So that was my first ever start against Duke, and we ended up winning the game. And but it was my freshman year, and there was an injury ahead of. That's why I had that opportunity to play down low, close defense. And um, it might have been a few weeks before I could even get back on the field. So I was kind of sitting on that for a little while. And, um, but for me, I, I'm finding that balance where I need to prepare. And I think that's important. Uh, like, but I also need to play kind of instinctually and free and mm-hmm. on my toes and aggressive. And, um, and so, uh, tr- trying to find that, that balance as well, where it's, um, not overly, a little bit of a paralysis by analysis, if you know what I mean. Definitely. Right. And, and if you'll allow me just real quickly uh, to, to talk about the strategy real quick, like when you do find yourself getting too emotional, how do you get back on course? And I think there's that macro things that you need to do all, off the field and you can't worry about in the moment. You have to get to know yourself, uh, work on these habits, train, uh, understand your numbers and what works for you in the moment. It is about and I'm capturing from what words that you said, you said trigger words, I would call that verbal cues. So finding those words that will, will, uh, that when you say them, they get you programmed to high performance. So Brandon McManus kicker for the Colts, I believe right before that ball is snapped, he whispers smooth and through, which to him means kick smoothly and follow through. So it's programming for your game when at whatever you want to stay doing. Um, I love how you said feeding off a teammate, uh, focus, focus on your breath. Uh, and then to steal him from Novak Djokovic, he, he would say conscious breathing and self-talk. Like that's his main thing that he's always coming back to because he doesn't have the teammate. He's on an island there at Wimbledon, right? So he needs to uh, 
find a way to take multiple conscious deep breaths and then have that emotion channeled, which, you know, it's arguable. Can you control your emotions, right? Because emotions come from verbal language. You can channel and harness them by saying words that support yourself. And I think that's really what he was pointing to. And uh, I love how you brought up. It is amazing feeling when you get there and you have to be in tune with that as an athlete. But I would say any performer, Brody, any performer, whether it's a coach or an entrepreneur or an artist or a musician, right? You just have to be in tune with what, with what works for you. And I will turn that into a question. You gave great, great advice for the high school uh, and the college, but what about the pro? Right. And then the pro that wants to keep going to that, that another level, what advice do you have for him or her? Good question. It's, it's, it's funny because if you go into a pro locker room, right, right before a game, just had me thinking of those, those verbal cues, right? I feel like the team, each individual player is kind of searching for that, right? Right before a game, you see, you see a lot of heavy breath. You see a lot of kind of pacing, Right. And these are kind of good ways, I think, to get yourself good examples of that. Those being around high performers, like you're 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 repeating things, you're repeating things to your teammates. Right. You're you. Um, so I always I always find that uh, kind of interesting. You walk in a locker room, just different different voices, different cues with yourself and with others. Um, for 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 uh, a pro, you know, I think. Um, I think the margins are slimmer. I think everything matters. I'd say that it has to become kind of your lifestyle. I think that um, it's looking at um, like much more holistic approach. So um, like obviously the physical, your, your strength and conditioning, you know, kind of the technical, tactical side, the mental, I'm sure you've seen this, right? Kind of those, those buckets that we're, we're trying to fill like the mental, emotional side, the, your skill work, your, um, you know, your leadership qualities, right? Um, I think all those things you need to have, um, you need to keep kind of filling those buckets and um, at a high level. And so it's, um, you know, for me, I'm trying to think of that because I never, I never would have imagined I could get to that pro level when I was a younger athlete. And then once I got there, um, I felt like I was, I did, you know, I felt like I was just, um, you know, um, maybe the Brody, you, you, you said that on the first podcast as well, that you never really saw yourself becoming what you are. Do you think that was that you did have that deep dream of playing at the highest level, or you just were so focused on your process that it carried you there? I think it was so, so focused on the process. Like I remember even, even that first Georgetown practice, which I, I referenced there is like, um, I'm like, Holy, I, I don't know where I'm going to fit in here. The, the players are so strong. Right. But then I think with every, you, you, you know, I guess in simple terms is a term you've heard. And we, we probably have said in a locker room before get, is be where your feet are and be the very best version of yourself. It, where you are right and so i think that's um that that's kind of held true like at each level yeah maybe the standards get higher and the stakes get a little bit higher and higher and the bar get but um i think um if you're kind of focused on continually improving and in all those little buckets 
um, that will, I think that will help with your sustainability and longevity, um, you know, uh, from, from college and then transitioning into, into sport or into, into the pros where you kind of reset and start all over again. You become that rookie or that freshman all over again, right. Where you got to have to kind of go prove it all to yourself and to others. Um, but same kind of thing though. My first, my rookie year, I had some great leaders and mentors. I played with Gary Gate my first year, right? Here's a here's a one of the best players of all time, if not the best player of all time. Humble, um, great leader and teammate. Never complained about anything. He would get the biggest, toughest matchup. Guys slashing him. He was the best ground ball guy. He was um, just kind. You know, I think that's yeah. I think that's a very valuable attribute as a leader is just kindness, right? I'm a young 23 year old. Here's Gary Gate as a veteran on the team. And, and okay, I'm going to watch what he does, how he, his poise and Tom Marichek and playing with Mike Powell, who was, who was kind of my rival, right. And then picking up some of these things from, from those guys and trying to, trying to make it your own, but also, you know, trying to meet their standard. Right. And so I think that that process at every level kind of resets Right. Mm -hmm. As you get to higher and higher levels, I'm sure that's the same in school. Right. And from high school to college to even beyond. Mm -hmm. Right. The work life, mm -hmm. professional life. You know, there's a idea that you provoked in my mind that's got me gripped lately um, because I just learned that this was the case. Um, there's a biblical idea that the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall. Inherit, what does that mean? The weak person. But it doesn't mean that it means those that know how to wield their sword, but keep it sheathed. And I love that. Because that means that you can and you have the aptitude and the capacity to do so, yet you choose humility, cooperation, and kindness. And I think if you're just kind and cooperative without the ability to use it, right, there's nothing truly admirable about that. I think when you brought up Gary, the reason why you admired the humility and the kindness is because his tenacity and ability and, uh, you know, veracity. And I think the best athletes have both the ability to compete and the ability to cooperate. And it's really, you have to own your role and do it better than anybody. And then also cooperate and be kind. And you just can't be too much of one or else you're not as great of a teammate. Is that something that you would agree with me on? Sam, I think of that. Like, I think of how cool it was for him to invite me out, you know, and ha enjoy a beer with him after a game. And, but then when it, when it came time to go, you know, in his own way, um, you know, it was a level that I've never really seen before. Mm. <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Take it, us there, Brody. Take us there. What do you mean? For Gary, it, it's um, his physical side. I mean, he was just, he was built like an NFL tight end. His skill level was again, his shooting, finishing ability, combination of it, He just had the combination of everything as, as a lacrosse player. Um, but to see it live as a teammate and to him, I think he scored eight goals when we won that, the MLL championship that year and against Nikki Polanco who was the best defenseman in the world. Um, and so that's pretty, you know, it, it, it was just, it was just a level I hadn't seen before and, and you get to being around him, you got to see that, um, you know, and he, he had a great quote recently before a season. Right. I don't know if you, you saw it, but, you know, as a player and both as a coach, he just goes into every game believing that he's going to win. Mm. 
right? That's just in his, he has a belief, an inner belief that he's going to, he's going to win that game, right? So there, there's nothing more important, Brody. I, I mean, there's definitely something I wanted to touch upon and I'll get get to it right now. And I think you can have these limiting thoughts, negative thoughts. And the opposite of that, opposite of doubt is thoughts that serve you, self-talk that serves you, right? Who am I? Put like a butterfly, thing like a bee. Hands can't hit what the eyes can't see. If you even dream about beating me, you better wake up and apologize. Everybody knows that's Muhammad Ali, right? But he was talking like that and talking like that and talking like that and then generating evidence right? Both mind, body, and spiritually, right? Training and training and training and training. You bringing up the holistic approach or the integrative approach, right? Um, The word health comes from the Latin wholeness. So all of it, right? How are you doing socially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically? What I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to throw this idea because I'm thinking it through and who better um, to talk about. I really think ultimate belief, ultimate belief is, is conviction. And I think that's an inner ideal that you're looking to make an outer reality. And I, I think um, once you rep something out strong enough, you can get to conviction, right? You know, the Gandhis of the world, the Martin Luther Kings of the world, any leader you truly admire has conviction, right? And it's this unwavering inner narrative, right? Because to me, in sports psychology, belief is the number one thing. You have to have a feeling of certainty that, you know, the story you're telling yourself is something that you can do on that any given time. And we know what happens when you lose it, right? We just know what happens. There's, you don't have a snowball's chance. So do you believe what I'm saying in terms of conviction being that ultimate um, promised land that you're after? I, I definitely do. And I think that you've got to earn that with yourself, right? You, you, you have to earn that belief with yourself through the work that you put in. And I think that there are definitely some moments where, uh, being on the the right side of that, not hoping but knowing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's I use the analogy of going into a test in high school, and you're nervous, you're nervous, you're uncertain, um, you know, because maybe you had just crammed the night before. But we've all had those tests too, where you like you sat down and you, you studied, you put in the time, you put in the work, and you're walking into that test excited. Right. And I think as, you know, as an athlete, that's what I was would try to get to a point where I'm not I'm not hoping. Right. I know I know what's going to happen. I know I'm confident it, uh, uh, how this is going to play out. Right. Um, I know it's not in, I know it's not in your bones, Brody, but I want to go to the fact that you did prepare for that Duke, you know, that for that, that Duke game, you did prepare uh, and you still didn't perform. Well, I know this isn't in your bones, but you could have given up. You could have like packed it in. Um, why didn't you? Like, like, well, why? Where did that patience and that I'm not going to go anywhere anytime soon come from? I, I do think that you have to respond, though. Yeah, I think it's a game. Like the game's telling you something, right? That's telling you something. These are signs that hey, I'm not ready. How? What do I need to do to better in the next? Uh, if when if and when the next opportunity comes, right? That I'm not going to you know, squander that opportunity away. And I think it's, it's, it's going back to um, your, your routine, your preparation, those little things that you can tweak. You're always tweaking and adjusting, always refining, adapting. Um, I think that's in life. If you have that mindset, right, it's going to serve you well is that you're, you're always responding and, and adapting. I think that was the biggest thing. And somebody would ask me, 
how did you how did you play until you're 41 42 years old i think the word i will go to is adapt you have to adapt right you have to um as you old or maybe come age or come a little bit more limited or maybe it's um you know position or or whatever um that's uh i think that's got to be it's it's like the that that healthy kind of fear that you talked about right is a little mm. always paranoid that Am I ready? Uh, but it's not gonna. It's not gonna uh, cripple me either. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's kind of the fun in it, though. Too, the game's always teaching you these things and these lessons that, hey, maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe I need to. This is just expose my preparation, um, and uh, you know, I'm gonna be stronger for that. Though I'm gonna right. be stronger for that. And I'm gonna again, it's it's that reframe that we were talking about. Something that I do. Uh, from the coaching capacity, even if it's one-on-one, uh, you know, when a player's down or the team or group is down, you ask them, is it, is it a right or a responsibility to be playing at the Hill? Can anybody wear this jersey? Just anybody? Just anybody? And the coolest thing about the word responsibility, ability to respond. Isn't that cool? It's like in the word, right? So, right. Um, when you have a responsibility, it's actually your responsibility to have the ability to respond. And I think what I find so fascinating, Brody, and the reason why I wanted to talk to you again is if you went back to end of February, 2020 and listened to our first podcast together, you were talking about routine and consistency, routine and consistency. And now you're talking about adaptation. And I think you need to have both, right? When things don't go the way you want them to, you have to adapt. What would you say? I I think you have that foundation, right? You have that foundation of routine and consistency with that flexibility and openness to, to evolve and adapt. Right. And I think that that's, um, you know, and, and I, I've always had, you know, kind of having those staples, um, that give you a little bit of, a little bit of, I don't, I'm not sure the right word is comfort. Um, you know, maybe confidence in, in your preparation, but also, Again, knowing for those unforeseen unpredictabilities mm-hmm. that come up um, that maybe you can't always prepare for, right? Mm-hmm. So being agile and being flexible, I think there's there's got to be a healthy kind of harmony between the two. And it's a yin-yang symbol. So have you ever seen that yin-yang symbol, right? One side's order, one side's chaos. And the meaning or the flow state is found in between those. So you want to have the order of your routine, but you also want to have a little bit of chaos. Like uh, you, you don't want the Hill Academy playing against fifth graders, right? That's, that's too orderly, too boring. But you also don't want them playing against a Premier League Cross League team or an NL team. Right. So you want to make sure you, you find the right competition that brings them into the zone. So let's talk about the, that, that tweaking and evolution. Um, I did want to talk to you about and you brought up a few already your hardships and, and the evolution of your motivations. Right. Because right now you're a father, you, you, you know, you started your career differently. But could you talk maybe about the evolution of what dr- drove you at different levels or was it the kind of the same through line um, every step of the way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's um, as as now like a, a you know dad of a proud dad of three, you're kind of um, maybe a little bit more um, yeah, kind of aware. You're trying to pass that on now. I think that's been my shifts from playing now to to parenting and and even coaching is that you're trying to you're, you're trying to pay that pay that forward. Um, but it, it's it's kind of the same thing where it just had me thinking of 
coaching young, uh, you know, um, 11 year old girls is that, um, going through practice and practice objectives. That's one of the things I want to accomplish there is I want them to, uh, be in the moment, right. And be, and have that high level of engagement. And that's kind of where I'm, I'm going to start as a coach, right. It's like, how do I, okay. I know as a player, when I was at my best, I was on that edge. I was in that high level of flow or engagement or however you want to term it. Um, how can I get them there as a coach? Right. And I think joy and fun, making it fun and creating, um, I heard this like quote, like a feedback loop, right. If it's mm. fun and engaging and mm. the player is going to want to keep coming back and want to keep, mm. and, and I, I, yeah, I just, just heard, you know, Wayne Gretzky talk about that, how people would always ask how many hours, how many hours He's like, I, I don't know. I was just, I loved it so much. It's what I wanted to do. I wasn't counting the hours. Right. And so how can I do that as a dad? Right. Mm-hmm. How can I do that as a coach um, in their day to day life? Or how can I make reading fun? How can I make, you know, um, how things that we want to encourage? Right. Things I want to encourage in myself, things I want to encourage in, in either the players that I'm coaching or, or uh, the kids under my own roof. You brought up an idea that I went back to because I was. Um teaching a course with uh, Dr. Rob Gilbert, sports psychology. And um, in the book, The Winning Takes Care of Itself by Bill Walsh, um, he says, if anything happens in the game that was not practiced, that's on the coach. And I I love that because it gets you prepared for the different moments. And I think one of the things I always enjoyed that Shay did at Yale was uh, one goal games. He would always do that at the end. And it was like, totally unfair. It was like, you're down one with 30 seconds and like they have the ball. It's like, why? That's like, that's too chaotic, but it really wasn't right. Because then you you find more calmness in the game. And I think, you know, you have to release the control because you now you're, you have the cap on instead of the helmet on. Right. But you want to make sure they're prepared for that moment by putting them in the situations and practice so that when they go out there, they can have that quote unquote confidence. And I think I, that's I, the I've transition. I've been drawn more to that as a coach now is those, um, you know, uh, I heard a, a good quote on this is, uh, repetition without repeating. Okay. So taking uh, like prioritizing some things in the game, how you want to play, uh, but also being thinking about situations that come up frequently in games, right. And wrapping those out, um, not in, not in a kind of robotic way, but okay. Um, you know, that, that example of being down by a goal with 30 seconds left, well, that, that's good. That's going to come up. Right. So how can we create confidence in the game and, how is that going to look in a game? Well, probably coming out of a timeout. So let's come out of a time. Let's come, let's come together. Let's talk. Let's think about it. And then let's go uh, rep it out. But I, I also like kind of breaking it down into smaller segments. Um, for example, if you're working on one-on-ones, well, when do one-on-ones happen? What is it? You know, it's a shot off the, an end line, right? So, okay, shot off the end line, go set up. How does that look? How does that feel? So that when you get to a game situation, it's not it's not new, right? You're you're prepared for it. You've repped it out, but understanding that that every circumstance is going to be a little bit different. Every game is going to take on a different shape. But um, I think it's more just that feeling, right? That's what Coach Shea was trying to create. There is that 
okay, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm in a national championship game or I'm in the Ivy League championship and we're down by a goal with 30 seconds left. I've done this before. There's a, there's a little bit of a routine to this. Like, like, I, like I said, that consistency, right, and routine combined with adaptability, right, where, okay, I've repped this out a lot of times, but it's pouring rain right now or it's a snowstorm right. or it's beating hot and it's a national championship. Again, optimal versus peak. Right. Right. And and so I think that as a coach with my coach hat on is looking at those different scenarios, maybe breaking them down into smaller chunks and then wrapping those out. Right. Mm-hmm. And and uh and those smaller segments of the game. And then also kind of in its totality too. I like kind of that mix. Um, so I think it's really important, you know, with your coach's hat on to be very lockstep with your strength and conditioning coach. Right. Mm-hmm. So him and I have kind of created a plan where it's we're looking at smaller segments of the game, you know, and working on kind of the conditioning and the repetition of those situations in smaller segments, kind of medium segments and then full field segments. And that's been a really helpful framework for me as a coach um, mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, so picture those smaller segments, that smaller area. Right. It's going to be one on ones. It's going to be two on twos. It's going to be fast. It's explosive movements well that medium segment's going to be more three on three four on four right kind of increasing that and also from a conditioning standpoint you're kind of building up some capacity and then full field is going to be those mm. five on five four on three mm. continuous where you're using the entire mm. field and more mm. situational play right where you're mm. you literally have a list of different scenarios that could come up common themes to reinforce your your team identity but also ha- have you well equipped for um, all the all the various un- unpredictabilities that are going to happen? Amazing. Um, you know, just two points that I, I want to grab from you is when I had Kyle Harrison on here, he was talking about the importance of position and uh, specific training, right? Like you don't just train for no reason, right? You got to know your specific position that you'll be training and rep that out. And then also situationally specific, right? I think that's, I love how you said starting one-on-ones on the end line. So you have kind of have that mental imagery in your mind that like, it's going to be the same way before. And it's no difference than being a student, Brody, when you were said that the student has to be prepared for the test, they kind of want, Questions to be asked that they studied before it better be kind of similar in that capacity. And then the second point that I wanted to make was on your thought that you brought up a few times now about the difference between optimal and peak. You know, I'm always encouraging focus on excellence over perfection because perfection is kind of self-abusive in a way because like right when you mess up, it's like, oh, geez, now everything uh, is, is gone to waste. But if you focus on excellence, which James Clear from Atomic Habits would say never miss twice. Right. That's his whole idea. Never miss twice. If you want to go out late, you know, because you're staying up socially, don't miss miss twice. Right. Don't make these bad habits continual. Right. Look, look for ways to reset. Right. And refocus, whether that's in the day, in the game or in the moment. Um, Brody, kind of like one of the final final questions I have for you is you're making this transition now. You've had such an illustrious career and, uh, you know, you're probably even going to have, if it's possible, a better coaching career. Could you talk about the things that you're bringing with you as an athlete and maybe the things you're leaving behind or uh, as you're developing your coaching philosophy? Yeah, I've been trying to think about that a lot uh, lately and and actually working with Coach Holman this past week was nice because, you know, kind of reaffirmed um, some of these things and 
he's kind of a, you know, he's had so much experience. I think he said he's played or coached in nine national championship games. And so just, a, it was, you know, um, some really good conversations with him, but also in the last few years, just all, you know, through my time in the game, just being really clear on things that I value, things that really resonate with me through the game and, um, you know, and just these kind of guiding principles that I think that that young coaches need to kind of start with, right? Is what what are some things? And for me, it's I touch a lot about you know I'll uh, touch on many of them today. Is right. One of them is conditioning. I, I you know that's one thing that you can control. So I want all of our teams to be uh, in in great physical condition, right? And and be really. And my challenge as a coach is I want to be forward. I want to be I want to use kind of best practices, uh, you know, uh, to, to help challenge and support them that way. Um, the other one is, is kindness, right? I, I use that word and it's one from one of my dad's best friends who, who um, oh, seven or eight years ago passed away from ALS and he was a, um, an accomplished CFL football player. Um, and he wrote, I should share this book with you. He wrote a sports psychology book. And he said the most important attribute uh, in a football player is kindness. And that's kind of counterintuitive, right? You, you see the, the gridiron and, and how violent and, and at times that sport could be. But, you know, a football player that's kind is going to be coachable, is going to be a great teammate, right? Is going to have humility. And so these are little things that I, I, I'm, I'm starting to kind of pluck as as things that resonate with me so kindness is going to be another kind of staple for me as a coach right as I want all our players to you know and staff to to have that and, and to display that oh another word that I love is tenacity right I, I look at you play as a player you're tenacious right I think of a lot of championship teams and levels it's that word that kind of it's hard to describe but you know it when you see it it's tenacious play I want I want I want our players to be, uh, you know, in pursuit in a tenacious way and a relentless way. And so that's another another kind of staple for me is is that, you know, I, I love for our teams to 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 be uh, tenacious. Um, and so I can go on, you know, and and, and but they're all kind of uh, things that, you know, for me, it's like, uh, you know, an old coach of mine. Um, you know, uh, who, who kind of founded the Orangeville Northman here, legendary coach Terry Sanderson. Um, you played with his for his son Josh, right? It's just uh, the other word is discipline, right? It's just daily uh, decisions determine destiny, right? Just having discipline every day, every day in, in your work, and and um, uh, that that word uh, again resonate resonated with me as a player. And now, you know, it, it's been cool because. Uh, you and I, and I'd say that you're a good example as well, is that we've been playing in parallel with trying to figure these things out as a coach, or in your case, okay. as a sports psychologist, right? Um, where And we're not immune to these things. We, we're, we, as much as we're coaching and talking about these things, we have to deal with these little these struggles, right? And so I think having these little guiding principles to go back to and and um, you know, it brought this up with our 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 Canons team. It's it, it was cool, and Coach Holman and 
was talking about like let's get more like you know as time goes on you're drawn back to the core of the game right mm-hmm. and the core is a skillful game it's a finesse game but it's also a game of toughness right where talking to Jeremy Thompson right they have an uh, an annual game on their reservation where everybody plays right with wooden sticks and no equipment contacts allowed slashing's allowed right you know this when you get slashed right that's a little test oh, yeah. right oh, yeah. <laughs> that the game's going to teach you a little bit of a lesson that way and i think that's so to me toughness is there too right because mm-hmm. um I think and how you respond to that is really important. Yeah. Like getting hit and getting not and getting not and, and getting hurt too, right? And yeah. how do you the lessons that we learn from getting injured, right? Awfully, obviously, there's a underlying health and safety line there, sure. sure. But also within the parameters of the game, these are lessons that that I think uh, that are important that we get have to be open to. And so as a coach, I'm, I'm tr- what, what resonates from all these things like a coach Holman or a Terry Sanderson or a Tony Proudfoot, or, you know, um, uh, you know, from my dad, from all these great, from my parents, my siblings, I think if you, you take time to think about those things and, and shape that identity, right. The things that have worked for you, um, that you believe in, that are kind of become your non-negotiables, right? And so um, that we, you know, everybody has a license to be their own, bring their unique personalities, but these are things that we can't bend on, right? That um, um, that are going to be yeah, staples. In a nutshell, Brody, if I was to say what sports psychology is all about, about, right? Sport being a continuous series of problem-solving events and psychology being the study of mind and behavior. But really what it is, is we're in the response business, right? So like, how do you handle getting slashed? How do you handle to a loss? How do you handle a win, right? Which is, as we've learned from Ben Ives, right? Sometimes it's even harder to come back from a a big play, a good play, right? Because it's about being even keel. But everybody wants to respond from a bad play or a loss, right? But how do you maintain that humility? Uh, you brought up something pretty impactful. Uh, sorry for the loss of your, your father's friend. The kindness really gripped me there because uh, Dr. Rob Neiderfer, one of the founding fathers of North American sports psychology, actually took a, a more, what should I say, mechanical approach to sports psychology. And then after losing some friends, as I've heard it, maybe it's apocryphal, I, uh, as I've heard it, lost some friends in uh, the Twin Towers and became a very spiritual guy and wrote a book called The Role of Faith and Performance, which is all about having a humble heart. And he thought that that was the most ultimate thing that you could have in sport is a humble heart because that gives you that freedom. Uh, you brought up discipline and the daily decisions determine destiny. You know, the definition of discipline that I love is making promises to yourself and keeping them. And then the final thing that I would say is you brought up how we're figuring it out along the way. Um, certainly, it's what got me into sports psychology. You know, your pain becomes your purpose. I've shared my story along the way throughout this podcast, but you know, yeah, like figuring it out and knowing that. Thanks, Brody. Yeah, tenacity, but it's also your strengths are your weaknesses, right? So I got to learn how to find, you know, that that middle ground that serves me through self-awareness, uh, good communication, and then responding the right way. Is there any question or topic that uh, I should have asked you along the way that I didn't? No, I, I think that, yeah, I'm just thinking as, as you're, there's some, I always pick up these little tidbits from you, but um 
Yeah, I think as much as you're 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 responding and you you know um, you you know there's kind of that I, I love it. I've been kind of thinking about it a lot lately. It's it's a track and field term, but like eighty five percent rule, right? Eighty five percent rule is that you know because when they're when you're when you're kind of in that last race and if you have that 85% rule mindset, it gives you a little bit of that freedom for yourself to relax, mm-hmm. right? And in relaxing, you can take it actually to another level, right? And so kind of mm-hmm. having that a little bit of that peaceful mindset. Um, so that's another sprinting term, right? If you have a peaceful mind, so I want you to try this, Mark, okay? And it's, yeah. it's, it's carried through to, to, to other sport, lacrosse. The next time you're sprinting, um, repeat the word peaceful and you have a peaceful mind when you sprint, mm. Mm. you're going to run faster. Mm. Okay. And that's, and so, um, I think that's a good way to look at kind of that 85% mm. rule and going into a game. Okay. So if I'm going in to play in the national championship tomorrow, 85%. Okay. Mm. I want to, I, I don't want to, I'm not, I know hundred percent is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Mm. Right. Mm. But 85, I need to be, cause I need to make some plays too. I need to, I need, mm. I need to contribute. I need to make, I want to, I want to go for it. Right. But I understand that. Okay. Um, th- there's going to be that time, those, those, those moments of 15% where it doesn't, and mm. that's okay. Right. That's okay. But if I go into the game thinking I need to play a perfect game because it's a national championship, I only get one shot at this, you know, that um, then maybe when that win, not if, when that breakdown happens, that mistake happens, you know, it, it's um, it's tough to get yourself back out of that. Right. I mean, Brody, it's, it's amazing that you brought that up because I didn't say this earlier, but I was going to. I had Dr. Nick Molinaro on this podcast and he shared with me, he's a clinical psychologist and sports psychologist, primarily of golfers. Uh, you know, his research found that five to 15 percent of the time do we reach actual peak performance. So 85 percent of the time yeah. is optimal. So it's crazy that you brought up 85 because that's actually research back. That most no, Brody. I don't know how many games you played. Do you know the, the number of lacrosse games you played? But say it was, you know, a thousand more yeah. than that. Say say it was a thousand, right? That means like a hundred and fifty games. You were outstanding. Right? Is it? It's probably hard to understand that you 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 were optimal or or worse in in well majority, right? And look at you, Hall of Famer. Jersey up in the rafters, right? So it's about that. You that can game. probably look at that, and and there's something to that for sure. You can, and that ratio feels right, you know. And it, 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 so, yeah, and I think it's just, and it, and if I were to say with level of engagement, right, it's probably around that eight point five out of ten, right? Right. Be at that in terms of arousal level, right? In terms of that mm. adrenaline, emotion. You know, um, and so I think it's it, it, it's a good way to to frame things as you're going into into a game or um, in, in the and the word peaceful when you're sprinting. It, a funny things a funny things starts to happen, right? Your face yeah. relaxes, you, you become a little stronger, right? And I think you if you can have that kind of steady, peaceful mind during chaotic events, 
your performance will get to a higher level. Well, Brody, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I probably could talk to you for uh, several more hours. I know I could. Um, how about you just leave listeners uh, of this great form full of greatness uh, community? I love how your first answer uh, is what you, you learned from your career it had a lot to do with gratitude. But is there like a final message you, you would leave people with um, that are listening to it? Um, I would say, yeah, just, um, you know, it's, uh, you got to enjoy the journey, right? That's, that's, that's always been a saying to coach Eric, my, my old coach. And again, it's, you, you pick all these great influences that you've had on yourself, uh, over your, your life and career, but, um, it's about the journey and not the destination. And I think being present in that day to day through your sport, through school, all those things, um, I think will, uh, give you good perspective. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. It's been, I, you know, you, you have had a, had a big impact. It was so, so cool. And I would recommend, I, I, I'm going to go back and listen to your, your podcast with Ben because, um, it was cool to kind of go through that stage alongside you guys, both as two big impacts on my life and career. Yeah, Brody, I feel really lucky to have met you along my journey as well. And I'm sure uh, the, the, the future is going to be bright for, for both of us and our relationship. So thank you so much for, um, for coming on. Thanks, man. Anytime. And, and, until the next time, four years from now. That's right. Four years from now. Take a good day. <laughs> All right.